Hello and welcome to Plot Trist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we are reviewing Not Quite a Lady by Loretta Chase. So this was published in 2009 and is number four in the Carpsington Family series. We have already reviewed the first three on the podcast and we really love all three of them. And so we figured we'll round out the brothers. There is another book that is considered to be part of the series that I'm sure we will be reading, but I, I feel like it was written, I think it was written after the fact and like maybe there were two books in between as well. And so it's not like, doesn't come immediately following. Who is it about? Peregrine and Olivia. Okay, I had a hunch. Yeah. I actually was wondering reading this if Olivia ended up with Peregrine or if she ended up with Pip. the child from this one because yeah. there's a bunch of things with the two of them together. I know. Pip. Pip. Yeah, so, but I mean, I, that's a spoiler I could have gotten from the book jacket, so I'm really okay with you telling me. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Okay. Let's read the book jacket. Irresistible Force. Darius Carsington is a spectacularly handsome rake with a rare intelligence and no heart, a man who divides his time between betting loose moraled women and writing scholarly papers. He finds society's perfect darlings exceedingly boring, but there's something intriguing and not quite perfect about faultless Lady Charlotte Hayward. He senses a crack under her polished surface and finding it is a temptation he can't resist. Immovable object. Lady Charlotte is so beautiful, charming, and gracious that no one has noticed what an expert she is at not getting married. Early on, she learned a painful lesson about trust and temptation. In the three years since, sorry, in the years since, she's devoted her life to being all she ought to be, and she's not about to let a man like Carsington entice her to do everything she shouldn't. A splendid collision. But the laws of attraction can easily overpower the rules of manners and morals, and sometimes even the best-behaved girl has to follow her instincts, even if it means risking it all. I mean, what, this is a really... Um, generic? Yeah, generic, but also, like, very typical, like, like very stereotypical, almost, uh, yeah. historical romance, like, language on there. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing that captures what makes this book different. Yeah, exactly. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that our summaries are going to capture it either, because this week, the number we generated was four. So we have four word summaries. Mine is, love heals past trauma. And mine is, there are no coincidences. So, I mean, one of the big tropes of this book that I, it's something that I don't even notice anymore in historical romances and in romance in general. It's, it doesn't even bother me. It's not something I think twice about, but there are so many coincidences in these books. And I think a lot of it is about like fate and being fated to fall in love with someone. And, you know, this is a, and this is a story that had to happen I'm thinking, I'm th thinking of so many books, actually. Willing to overlook that because the Oton is ultimately pretty small. Right. And so, like, okay, the fact that 
Carsington was at school with one of the brothers of Charlotte's former suitor, like, okay, well, how many kids are even in that society? And if they right. do have a distinctive feature, like they're going to know. So that bothered me less. It's more the, her randomly bumping into hip. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking specifically of my beautiful enemy because I've been uh, recommending it to like everyone. And that mm-hmm. book is basically just like one long series of coincidences. Yeah. But it's about the romance where I think you're right because of this like faded idea to fall in love and this idea that like realistically in small towns, there are tons of way you could, you could have met. Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to look past that. But when the coincidences extend beyond the romance and the fate of that, I do. Yeah. Notice it. yeah. Like, okay. He happens to be an expert on her father's favorite subject. And this one significant kids just happens to be working for the one person he hires. Yeah. Like that is where it gets a little bit like, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it does. You, it's something I think you have to embrace if you're going to enjoy this book. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I like this book. Yeah. I don't love this book. Yeah. Um, okay. So what are some other tropes? She, as you gathered from the book jacket, she does have a secret scandal in her past. She does. And um, he is a man who doesn't really believe in love. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's, I feel like at this point, it's not even a trope. It's like, is there a romance hero who believes in love? There's like literally two of them. And I think they're both Bridgertons. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Definitely. So he's also a little different because it's not that he doesn't. It's not that he hates society women or hates the prospect of marriage. Yeah. Or even like fun really doesn't believe in love. He just thinks love isn't logical. Yeah. I think he's more like I, I have seen no evidence of romantic love in my own life. And in most of society. Yeah. You know, for him, he's like, I I believe in lust. I believe in family love. Like, I love my brothers and I love my parents and I love my cousins. He's like, but I have never experienced love. And I'm a scientific guy, so I believe in what I can observe. And he sort of views marriage as practical and scientific, too, in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. That he recognizes that someday he will get married, probably, and that realistically, the way society views marriage wouldn't force him to change his behavior. Yes. And she says to him, why won't won't he get married? And he basically says, because my dad dared me not to. Yeah. Like, his reason for not getting married is the fact that his dad has challenged him to fix this property or get married. And if he gets married and has a wife's money to help him fix the property, then he feels like he's forfeit the bet. He's, he's cheated at that point. Yeah. Right. So it's not, it's not like a moral stance on love or marriage. It's just a right now stance on like what he's prioritizing and how he views those institutions. Yeah. yeah. And then as you gathered from the book jacket, he's a rake. I, I usually have slight issues with the idea. So do I still read books about rakes yes I do and they're all the time you'd never read romance novels if that was an objection exactly I will say that it either is very hard for me to believe that the person actually is a rake or I dislike the whole rakish 
aspect of the hero. In this case, I actually both accepted that he was a rake, but also it didn't bother me that he was. Yeah, especially because he didn't have mistresses or affairs. He had one night stands. Basically, yeah. Basically, he yeah. had one night stands. He'd be like, does this... And it was always with people who enthusiastically consented to those affairs. So he's like, yeah, we know we're going to scratch each other's itch for the night and then we'll part on good terms. I think the only thing that you could flag is like kind of problematic about it is how clearly he made it to the reader that at least in this circumstance, his preference was for women in service. In, even in, though they enthusiastically consented, I did wish that there wasn't that stated power imbalance. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. But. So this is, what's the, I'm thinking of the Sarah McLean book. Yeah. The first in the uh, Fallen Angel series. In the Rules of Scoundrels. Yes. yes um, that definitely had a version of this trope. So I, but I can think of others where the heiress woman that's the heroine of the story has a habit of sneaking off to the gardens of the adjacent property is her personal sanctuary because that adjacent property has been abandoned and then ever in residence of course when it finally is purchased or reoccupied or whatever you know there's a hot and sexy man there who's disrupting her solitude just a little surprised yeah and they have to get in some sort of fight about it yeah like whether it's you're on my land or her, you're in my sanctuary or yeah. clearly it can't just be a, Oh, there's another person here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do like how it happens, how it plays out here. I oh, like I do too, but it's a trope. Oh, a total, it's a total trope. It's a total trope. So Charlotte is, and this is something I like about the entire series. Charlotte is a little older. She's 27 or 28. She's 26. Maybe. I'm pretty sure. No, she's definitely 27. Uh, No, you are right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because she gave birth. Yep. I'm like, nope, definitely 27. Right, right, right. (laughs) And he's 28. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're in this, in this entire series, all of them are like age appropriate. And none of them is, she is the youngest heroine at 27. And, and there's only one virginal bride. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so so basically there are a lot of things I like about this series, and that's one mm-hmm. of them. Um so anyway, she she's 27, she has never gotten married, she is the daughter of a Marquis, and her father has decided that he is going to get her married by hosting a house party. He's gonna invite cool. everyone that he can think of who's an eligible match to spend two weeks at his house and hopefully mm-hmm. end it with a wedding. Yep. And he dotes on her because she's the daughter who was raised as the heir. She mm-hmm. was the only child. And then her mother died when she was a teenager. He remarried and at that point had sons. But at that point, she was already 16 years old mm-hmm. and had been raised basically as his son, taken around the land, taught. Because while she clearly wouldn't inherit the title or the entail, she would inherit everything else. Yeah, she's got a lot. She's a real heiress. She's got a ton of money. Because and now her she mother, has to share it with her brothers, but her father's so loaded. She's No, she doesn't have to share it with her brothers because she has inherited the money from her mother. Right. Right, right, right. A little, it's just like a little tidbit that I really uh, enjoy about this book. It's basically mm-hmm. her mother 
was an heiress and had a lot of money that was when she got married, it was not, it's not entailed, but it was, um, as part of the marriage, yeah, as part of the marriage contract set aside for her children. And since Charlotte is the only child, um, she gets all of it. She gets all the cash. They don't say, she doesn't say exactly how much it is, but it's a lot. It's a lot of money. And the father is independently wealthy. So even though she has just obviously other brothers now, it's not like she's got nothing from him either. Mm-hmm. So yeah. She's really loaded. So, but I think that's also a trope we've seen is sort of the only daughter, the only child doted upon oh, with yeah. masculine interests. Yeah. Ra- raised as a son, blah, blah, blah. Although she, she's not like a tomboy. Right. She just knows about like, financial management and running a household in a non like, Oh, I want to design the draperies, but in a, like, this is what you should do to generate income. Yes. God. I, I really like Charlotte a lot, actually. I do too. Um, there are several characters with distinctive eyes. Yes, there are. And these distinctive eyes are obviously a, a dominant trait because like every male in the family's got them. Yes. And this is also a book where um, you can tell who's related on sight. Yeah. And I always find that really interesting because, like, my sister and I look a lot alike. But I still don't think outside of context, if you, like, saw, like, she and I shopping, that you'd necessarily assume we had to be sisters. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I I saw her and I didn't know her. I was like, oh, you're related to me. Yeah. It it is really funny funny it's really funny I so I don't know if I should say this or not because it's like kind of a spoiler but Lane wrote gave birth to a clone (laughs) and the thing is though that like that's what I did like my daughter looks exactly like me like I'm not even kidding you she looks our baby pictures you can't tell who's who but if you, like, just saw a kid on the street who looked exactly like your baby picture, would it stop you in your tracks? Or is it only that you think that of Caroline because, like, you spend every day with her? I'm not sure. Like, I, I do think it might stop me in my tracks. Like, I honestly think I might be like, that's me. Like, I think it would okay. be really weird. Okay. I mean, I don't know. The thing is, it, it was, like, really weird when she was born because I was like, that is so, like, the pictures in the hospital are exactly the same, Lane. Like, that's, oh, that's what's hilarious. so weird about it. It's really crazy because we're like, wait, what? And my mom was like, wait, like, what did you just send me? She's like, this is, and the thing is, too, like, in hospitals in America, you always wear the same thing. Like, they have the same caps and everything. So it's, like, the same cap, like, mm-hmm. the same everything. In 30 years, it hadn't changed. Overall, what do you think about this book? So it's it's my least favorite in the series. I love the series. I the book has some parts that I don't love. I don't basically I don't love the setup or the plot. I think it's written really well. Like it's it's still Loretta Chase. It still has her humor. It still has her distinctive voice. So there are a lot of things that I like about it. I, I don't love the the conflict and I don't love the plot. And that's that's what's tough for me. I say it's my least favorite. Uh, when I reread it, I always forget how good it is. And then I like do get sucked into it again. But you also forget that it actually makes you cry. Yeah, I do. I 
do forget that it makes me cry. I don't know if I purposely blocked that out. I definitely teared up several times reading this book. And that's the thing. Like, I read Loretta Chase not to tear up. <laughs> so, I, once again, I am a robot with no emotions. So, you didn't cry. I think everything that made you well made me roll my eyes into the back of my head. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, that said, like, I, so I said I don't like the plot and I don't like the conflict. I do really like both of our, of our main characters. They're independently fun people. Mm -hmm. I like them both. It's just sad that the situation is very not fun. Yeah. And it's also very reminiscent of Miss Wonderful. It, it is. It's a very similar setup. So if you remember Miss Wonderful, um, Lord Hargate, so the father of these five Carsington brothers, needs to get his sons married off. And so in Miss Wonderful, he told Alistair, the oldest unmarried son at the time, that if he did not get married within six months, he would cut off his younger brothers. Um, he had the option of becoming financially independent either through business or through marrying an heiress. And at the end of the book, he manages to do both. So congratulations, Alistair. <laughs> What and happens in this book? Lady Charlotte appears in Lord Perfect as one of the candidates that the parents were considering for Benedict. Yes. Yeah. So she makes an appearance in an earlier book. But in this case, same exact setup. Lord Hargate tells Darius that he can either bring this property up to profitability within a year or he should marry an heiress. Yeah. Basically, he says, you have to get married. I will make a bet with you that if you can get this property to make a profit, you don't have to get married. Right. Now, if you all, again, if you were Miss Wonderful, it all turned out that Hargate had somehow engineered Alistair and Mirabelle in that book meeting. And he does the same thing in this book. He's like, Darius, you go work on this estate, the neighboring estate happens to be Lady Charlotte's father's estate. So, right. you know, continuing on with the really enjoyable part of, of the series, which is that Lord Hargate is the meddling father. Right. But unlike Miss Wonderful, where the heroine is financially independent and sort of running the town and is that cross purposes with the hero. In this case, it's about the heroine's sad, tragic past. It's about her sad, tragic past. And that's, that's where I think both Lane and I have issues with the book. I think Lane, One has, of the more, places. Yeah, I think Lane has more issues than I do with it. Um, I still don't love it, but I think I can handle it more. So... This is a very minor spoiler because it happens in the prologue. Charlotte at 16 was seduced, fell pregnant, conspired with her brand new stepmother, who was eight years older than her, to hide the pregnancy from her father and give the baby away. Mm -hmm. And she has been racked by the guilt from this mistake for her entire life. Yeah. And it's just not a storyline that I find particularly fun. 
I, it's not. It's not fun at all. Like, there's nothing fun about it. I don't think anyone is like, yeah, that sounds like a fun idea for a book. Like, it's not fun. That's the thing. No, but you know? I think you could play it as, like, either a secret that doesn't get revealed till the end or something that she's, like, really repressed and doesn't come onto every page. I mean, it is impossible to forget that Lady Charlotte has been mourning giving up his son every day and that the way she lives her life now is her father and for committing the grave sin of having sex as a child. Like, it's just, it's very depressing. And I think it also, it's not that it's offensive, but I think the way it presents motherhood is one view of motherhood. Mm -hmm. And the way it presents teenagers having babies is one view of teenagers having babies. Yeah. And I get that, like, to a degree, the book has to adhere to the norms and values of the time. To a degree, because, of course, the happy ending requires throwing it all out the window. Right. But uh, this is just never going to be a plot I want to read. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you said it, you didn't find it fun. I think also you don't necessarily find it compelling. Yes, that's a good word. Right? Like, it's just not something, it's not, not only is it not interesting, it's also something that just doesn't resonate for you. And if anything, I find frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately what it's about is a woman's powerlessness mm-hmm. and a woman's need in this society to remain chaste, presented mm-hmm. in the most blunt way possible. And it's not that any of either of those things are wrong. They're just not what I want to read. Yeah. Yeah. No. I... <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to be that pretentious person. And I hate saying this. Like, every time I say this, I'm like, God, am I going to be that person who says this? But I do think since having a child, so I I will never be a person who says that, like, you don't understand love unless you have a child. Like, that is not true. But I will say that having a child has changed my relationship with the world, with the way I interact with the world and the way I perceive it and appreciate it it includes how I react to a book with a storyline like this right sure so for me I can I can totally understand where she's coming from in that she so god we're gonna be pretty spoilery but I also think this comes out early in the book so I don't think it's like it's not gonna ruin your enjoyment of the book if we talk about it we have to talk about it the the whole thing is you you come to understand that the reason Lady Charlotte gets pregnant, the reason she even had this relationship with someone is because she was grieving her mother. So she she already was in this relationship with the father of her child because she was depressed. Then she gets pregnant, which at the time, even today, but at the time, you know, teen pregnancy and you're not married is like really horrible. So this terrible thing happens to her. She doesn't want to disappoint her father. She's already like depressed. Um, She goes off. She's got to hide the pregnancy, hide the birth of the child. And then she also like doesn't realize she's pregnant for a long time because of like Victorian children's ignorance of sex making babies. Exactly. So she goes off, has the child and then, you know, gives it away after having seen it for five minutes. And then, as one might expect, she has another, like, very long bout of depression. So they call it melancholia. But for, like, two years, she's just, like, not well. Right. 
which I mean, completely makes sense, you know, like this is, this is something, this is something I actually looked at before, um, recording because I had heard about this and I, I wanted to like verify that it's true. And it, it's, it's very true that like adoptive mothers have a very, very difficult time and like they have to, it's like another form of grieving. So they have to grieve this child that they never even met. And that can make it even worse sometimes because you don't have like good memories and like things to, you know, it doesn't get better with time often because you're grieving something that you never had. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing is, I think that Chase depicts it really well, which is why I cried like 15 million times when I read this book. <laughs> um, but also I think having had a child, it makes me think, put it makes it more personal for me too. Cause I'm like, what, what would I have done? You know, this, this would be really terrible. Right. Um, and I think, I think what puts this book in, in the realm of fantasy, which it already is, because it is a romance novel and there is an element of like fantasticalness when you read these books, you know, sure. there is a, a form of escapism. But I think what put this book, puts this book over the top is that she gets to deal with this grief by getting her child back. Yeah. You know? Which is which is a great way to have a fairy tale fan, fantasy book, but it's not exactly true to life, you know. And I think for someone who did go through this kind of trauma in her past as a reader, I think could be very, very difficult to read. Yeah. And I would say we kind of veered into offensiveness. So both just to like double back a little, the other thing I would say a good editor should have cut from this book is she has another suitor. Yes. Gets point of view chapters. It reminds me again, this reminds me of Miss Wonderful because remember how we got the point of view of the villain in that book. And we were both like, you could have just cut that. Yeah. But this one, it's not even a real villain. No, he's not a real villain. Although it he is presented as being pretty villainous, right until the end, and it was all a fake out. So like, not I didn't, only I it, didn't love that. I never right. loved that part. Not only was it useless, and we absolutely needed nothing from this perspective, character's perspective, but literally he adds nothing to the plot. Yeah, like she makes no decisions based on his existence at all. She doesn't. The one thing I. The one thing I like is this framing of choice. Um, so there's okay. there's part in the book where um, Charlotte finds these letters um, of this very sad, doomed love affair of this, you know, older lady. And she reads it. And basically, there is a point in your life where you don't have a choice, right? You've made all the decisions that you can, and then you have to deal with the consequences of those actions. Like making an offer on a condo. <laughs> that is um, one of the options, yes. <laughs> I don't know why that, that option came to mind. I don't know. But um, what happens, in, in Charlotte's case, she has already made, she made one decision that she thought she, she couldn't go back, right? So she made one choice already to give up this child. And, and now, to lie to everyone about it. And to lie to everyone about it. Ten years later, she has a new choice and it's like, do I continue lying or do I embrace 
this idea of being a fallen woman, whatever. And um, there is a moment where this other suitor says to her, you, you know, there's really no choice. And she thinks to herself, there's always a choice. Like there is a choice. Uh, and I liked that. I will say I liked that part. I do like it. And I really like the way that Darius frames making her choose him too. I don't think that presenting that choice required POV chapters from this dude. That's fair. I mean, that's fine. But anyway. And the hidden bag man has like a whole character. He doesn't <laughs> appear on the page. <laughs> that's true. Whatever. What happen? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he could have been cut. And it's the same as <laughs> it's the same as in Miss Impossible. I'm not gonna I'm not Miss Wonderful. I'm not arguing I'm not arguing that it like added a whole lot and shouldn't be cut. I'm just saying there's this one aspect, this one part that I like. Okay. And right. and yes, so look, guys, this book is ridiculously historically inaccurate, but I do not care. I thought it was in keeping with our characters, and that's more important to me than being historically accurate. I love yeah. how Darius is like, yep, we will raise your illegitimate child. We're fine. It was very romantic. I, I loved it. And it, like I said, it was consistent with his characterization. Well, it was also so cute that he, like, basically made the decision to adopt Pip before he even knew she had a child and that that was her child. He like, mean, was like, well, you can't beat this kid. Guess I'm going to have to pay for him to go to school. And I was like, okay, so you've made a lot of mental leaps, but I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, basically he was like, oh, this poor kid, He's he, he doesn't have a break. Ugh. I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to get him out of his terms of adventure and adopt <laughs> him and got to go to school anyway and and like yeah he was like hey you know what like I was gonna do this anyway why not sure is your kid great yeah <laughs> even better and I was and already I, gonna do this the fact I that he publicly claimed him yeah cool I loved it and all right so we did offensiveness how right. sexy is this book this book I think is honestly the sexiest of all of these four books you're right by a lot by like a lot and it kind of makes me sad because like one of their first intimate scenes starts because she's sobbing over the stress of having a child she gave up yeah and it's just like it's so hot but it's juxtaposed with this like real sadness and grief that i just wish mr impossible had had the sheer volume of sex scenes this one did <laughs> right and and it had desk sex <sighs> Which we all know is like Lane's favorite. It also had library flirting. Yes, there was library. Oh my God, it's so funny. I love the library flirting. It's perfect. And then uh, this is some, this is a, a fantasy I never knew I had, but it's like laundry room kink. I mixed like feelings with this. <laughs> I, I thought you might because it was dirty laundry. Listen it was specifically dirty, dirty underwear. His dirty underwear, but there were also like linens. It was like, yeah. Uh, what What about what I just said was inaccurate? No, I mean, nothing. Nothing okay. was inaccurate. But I it's am saying very that- very cute and very funny and very, they can't keep their hands off each other, but she does have her dirty, his dirty underwear on her head at some point. Yeah, but I mean, he's a clean guy. So probably was not bad. 
Okay, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> I'm just, look, I'm trying to make this as good as it can be. <laughs> and it's, but it's, and that's the laundry sex, I think is probably the, <laughs> probably the, the one, because it's like really funny. And I like love funny sex. There's also two sexual encounters in the laundry. In the laundry. Well, there's a dairy too. Oh, I'm sorry. There's one in the dairy and one in the laundry. Yes. Yeah, so they're like in outbuildings. Yeah. There's a lot of outbuildings on this property. And apparently it's like a new take on the screw in every room of the house fantasy. Yeah. Like screw in all of the outbuildings. Yeah. So the thing with the dairy hookup is that it's, it, they have a fight and then they make up by hooking up in the dairy. Yeah. I think I minded that less than I minded her crying and being like, please have sex with me so I forget that I abandoned my child. Yeah. Well, and, and the also, brain of my feelings about it. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about fights too. Like if you're going to resolve the fight with sex, great. But if you're going to have a fight immediately following sex, less interesting. But he did immediately realize he was wrong and like orchestrate an apology. I don't know. It, it's not great, but it was hot enough that I didn't care. Oh my God, the apology, like, I'm sorry, but that was hot. Like, they didn't have sex or anything, but it was a hot apology. Correct. So, like, for me, all sins forgiven. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, like, yeah. So, so this book is definitely the hottest of the Carsingtons. Yeah, I mean, it's not the sexiest in concept to me, because one of them is about archaeology. Yeah. But it is the most explicit. It's most explicit. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> there aren't any caves in this one. No caves. Just lots of outbuildings. And some mud. She does fall in the mud a few times. Oh, yeah. I almost put Clumsy as a character trait, but she's more robust than that. Yeah, and she's not... She has reasons to be clumsy. It's still Clumsy as a character trait. It's just not her only character trait. I see. I don't think people would be like, she's clumsy. He calls her clumsy like three times in the text. Well, yeah, but like, anyway, I don't think other people call her clumsy. She's only clumsy because she's attracted to him. Because that's her body when it's in lust can't move. Right, right. Not fair. She, she yeah. has a carriage accident because she's imagining him naked. That is true. Okay, so. Overall, we recommend this book, but I will say that we recommend if you can, you read it in paperback or hardcover. Yes, because can I tell you, and I forget about this every time, obviously, but like, I don't know if this happened to you, Lane, but they have this, they get married and they have this really nice wedding night, which isn't like super sexy, but I, I thought it was like very nicely written. Um, and then like you come to the end of the chapter and you're like, ah, oh, and then you flip the page. And it's like, the kids are at home for the summer. Here are some sexy reads to check out. And I was like, wait, what? And it's, it's, it's not a new chapter, guys. It's a commercial. But there's no blank page in the middle. And it ruins it every time. And it's also, the way this book ends, it's an ending, don't get me wrong. But it's not inconceivable that you'd think there'd be another paragraph. Yeah, there could be an epilogue. There could be. Yeah. And it's. And, like, I swear to you, every time I, I remember doing this, like, a year, two years ago, 
I mean, like flip it. And I'm like, wait, is this part of the book? And I like flip back and I'm like flip forward. And I'm like, no, this is, this isn't part of the book. <laughs> so anyway, recommend it, but you know, get a better Kindle version than the one we have. They need to, they need to change that formatting. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe.